That wonderful song, one of our favorites in this church family, is uh, taken from several passages of Scripture, as you know, and one of those, 1 Corinthians 13, we'll get to um, a little bit later, a little bit later. Thanks, Danny, for that wonderful communion meditation, talking about priorities, and now you all know why these windows over here don't open. (laughs) That's exactly why, right there. Yeah, it's an air conditioning thing, but nope, not even an option, not even an option. Today is a special day. Of course, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's the day we remember the resurrection, the empty tomb, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today is also a very special day for Joyce and me. On May the 7th, 1977, we were married. And so I have a few um, pictures up, of course, commemorating our 46th anniversary. Um, There are so many stories, and I'm not going to tell you all of them. Uh, but uh, Joyce's dad was 45 minutes late to our wedding. Um, hence, all of Joyce's makeup cried off, which she assured me that I had better give that disclaimer or else I was going to be in big trouble. Um, you see several different scenes there uh, from 1977. Uh, you notice in the bottom right, that's Joyce's immediate family. And you'll probably notice right off that her mother is holding a newborn baby. <clears throat> so... Um, James was born uh, three months before we got married, and um, that is number nine of the nine J's. She is holding her ninth child. Um, We have uh, got that news in our second year at Oklahoma Christian College, and uh, let me tell you, that was something that didn't happen every day there. Someone had a baby brother or sister uh, born. All nine of the kids begin, their names begin with J. I've been in the family long enough to where I can do this. Um, Janet, Joyce, Jerry, Joanne, Jeffrey, Johnny, Jennifer, Jeannie, and James. Yep, that's it. That's right. That's right. Always know how old James was, is because he's as old as we've been married, pretty much. He was born in February of 77. We were married in May. Joyce and I met in the fall of 1969 in Miss Lofton's 7th grade homeroom English class at Dwight Avenue Junior High School in San Antonio, Texas. And we were in the band, and so we were in school together throughout junior high and high school. And uh, we were friends. We had a good group of band friends we went to parties with. We uh, talked to a lot. They were our best friends. It was a wonderful, uh, wonderful friendship. And, uh, and some of those, through the magic of Facebook, we still uh, contact uh, today. In the eighth grade, Joyce had a crush on me. I know you're thinking, how in the world is that true, Bill? But yet it is. And yet, um, I, uh, I didn't have the same feelings at that time. And so at one of our eighth grade parties when we were dancing and ever the romantic, I was holding her with one arm and chewing a tuna fish sandwich with the other. <clears throat> I told her I only liked her as a friend. When we moved here, uh, eight years ago almost, uh, we did a Bill and Joyce road show and went to all of the adult classes and the youth class. And when I told that story in the youth class... I nearly had everyone walk out. I'm not sure that there's anything I could have told them that would have made me look worse. You friended her. You put her in a friend zone. They took one look at her and one look at me and they said, what were you thinking, man? (laughs) Obviously, I was an eighth grade boy. I wasn't thinking at all. Um, But through the years, I kind of changed that tune a little bit. She kind of went different ways and uh, came back together our senior year and started dating in October uh, I gave her a .01253 carat diamond ring uh, in February of our senior year, a promise ring. 
And then after our second year at Oklahoma Christian College, uh, we were married on May the 7th, 1977. I can tell you that I married way above myself. And I can also tell you that um, uh, outside of Jesus Christ, she is the greatest blessing in my life, without a doubt. I want to read from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Jesus affirmed this plan and vision of marriage during his ministry. Some people will say that Jesus never commented on homosexuality or on uh, the relationship and sanctity of marriage. And that's not true. He did. He did. And he goes back to this right here. And he says, this is God's plan from the beginning. The U.S. divorce rate hit a 50-year low in 2019. You heard that right, low in 2019, not high. A 50-year low in 2019, according to the American Community Survey data from the Census Bureau. The report said that for every 1,000 marriages in 2019, only 14.9 ended in divorce. This is the lowest rate we have seen in 50 years, their report says. By comparison, in 1980, that figure was 22.6, not 14.9 out of 1,000. And it's been steadily declining ever since. Clearly, the prospects of having a successful, fulfilling marriage are much greater than what the secular media would have us believe. (laughs) It's not as bleak as you might hear and as you might think. A 2016 Washington Post article titled, The Secret to a Long-Lasting Marriage interviewed some experts in the relationship field as well as several couples who had been married 50 or more years. And answering the question, how'd they do it? The article states that a happy long-term union hinges in part on pairing up wisely and in part on mastering the skills that foster a healthy marriage. So you get that, right? Choose wisely, as Indiana Jones was told when he was trying to figure out which cup was the cup of Christ. Choose wisely, but also learn stuff. Learn how to do this. Can I just say that health, good, healthy marriages and long-lasting marriages are that way because the couple does not do what comes naturally. (laughs) They actually learn how to be a faithful husband and a faithful wife. That love is kind of a natural God-given thing that they might have, and perhaps that infatuation even brought them together, but I can tell you it won't keep them together. There are some other things that they need to learn along the way. 
While it almost always begins with love, uh, this report says, choosing and, of course, being a solid life partner is critical. Reliable, responsible, and honest is a good start, they say. Pick a mate who is resilient in the face of life's curveballs. Someone who will go, okay, this is the new normal. Let's figure it out. (laughs) You see, the key to a long and happy marriage is not that you're never thrown curveballs. It's that you deal with them, and you figure it out, and you figure it out together. That flexibility, they say, that lack of entitlement to a predictable future is just a wonderful characteristic. I love that term. Lack of entitlement to a predictable future. We actually think we have that right sometimes. And the reality of the human life, if you've lived longer than a few years or maybe a few hours if you're living with someone, (laughs) you realize things don't always go as you expect. A close match on core values such as religion, sex, and religion, yes, is the first one they chose there. Religion, sex, parenting, money, and family is important. Long-lasting couples adopt a commitment to marital permanency, they write. They don't see divorce as an option. That's vital given that even the happiest marriages aren't always happy. I realize that for some of you that's news because in your marriage everything is always good and wonderful and you're always happy and your mate is always doing exactly like you want. No. They also work hard to master effective communication, not just talking but listening, which is hard for all of us, I think especially hard for us guys. Because we want to hear just enough so that we know what the problem is. And then the rest of the time that our wife is talking, we're thinking about how we're going to fix that. (laughs) That's probably not a good idea. I love this quote. Happy couples talk about the past often to remind each other of all the good things. Unhappy couples bring up the past to remind each other of all the bad things. Be happy today. I think it's one of those deals where we can't control the memory that pops in our head all the time, but we can control what we do with it. And if we're sharing those stories and those positive experiences so that we can build that intimacy and that commitment and remind each other, most counselors will say, if you're having marriage trouble, go back and look through your wedding photos again. Tell your story to each other again. Talk about how you first were attracted to each other. Do some of the things you did in those early years. Happy couples bring up the past in order to remember and remind each other of the good things because sometimes our perspective gets skewed and we think everything is horrible. Unhappy couples bring up the past simply to use against each other and to be reminded of the bad times. One of the couples interviewed said, you've got to have a great sense of humor And you have to be sure that you're in love and that love grows stronger and that you respect each other. So today, because it's actually our anniversary, I'm wearing a tie. And also, I wanted to speak a little bit about marriage relationships. And so you see that there's a list of ten things there. And I'm going to assure you that you don't have to try to figure out a way to get out the window. It's not going to be as long as you think. Here are a few thoughts I have on what is essential in order to be married 46 years. And let me offer this disclaimer. I'm not sharing this because I do all of these well. 
I'm not sharing this because Joyce does all these things well or because we do all of these things well all the time. That is not true. (laughs) That is not true. And if you want some more details about the things that I get wrong from this list, just talk to Joyce. She will be glad to share them with you. But these are the things I think that we have learned and that we have seen, and I have shown her this list this past week. And I, and I think these are things that probably would be on most all of our lists. And the list could go longer, but then so would the sermon, and where would that get us? So, Number one, an attitude of gratitude. I think being thankful, being grateful is so important and vital in our Christian lives in general and also in our relationships. Being thankful, being grateful, we could say count your blessings as a part of that. Reminding yourself again of the blessings that you have instead of just focusing on the difficulties that you're experiencing or that maybe the things that you are unhappy about. That attitude of gratitude leads to praise and leads to all of these other things, I believe. And if we start there, actually being grateful and acknowledging the good that we have, I think we're well on our way. Number two, a willingness to forgive. A willingness to forgive. And, and that means we grant forgiveness, but that also means that we seek forgiveness. Like everything else in relationships, it's a two-way street, right? We give forgiveness and we also receive forgiveness. Why? Because as it said, everything doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen or the way even that it should happen. Healthy, successful marriages aren't happy all the time with the way the other person is acting, and you know that. But they are willing to confront that and deal with it or to let it go and not use it against each other and to forgive, to forgive. You say, well, Bill, I have, a, I have a really hard time forgiving. Well, see, the great thing about marriage or any other close relationship, you get lots of practice. <laughs> you get lots of practice forgiving, as does your partner. A willingness to forgive. Number three is a commitment to hanging in there. A commitment to hanging in there. And in this article, interestingly enough, this secular article... <laughs> Acknowledge that. These couples weren't married for 50 years or more because they never had any problems. They were married for 50 years or more because they were committed to working those out and to working through them. Now, let me just say a word for a moment about divorce. I know divorce is a reality. I'm a, I'm a product of a divorce. My parents were divorced when I was a sophomore in high school. I get that. I understand that sometimes that happens. And there's all kinds of things we could say about that. But as Christians, I think we need to remember that sometimes that happens because we are human. We are human. Our marriages are composed of two humans. (laughs) And so we get that divorce is a reality. And it's very hard. It's hard on everybody. And so I understand that, and I want to acknowledge that. And if you've gone through a divorce, or if your parents have gone through a divorce, I realize, believe me firsthand, how hard that is and how difficult that is. And so however we can help each other work through those things, I, I tell you my view, when a couple is in crisis, I do everything in the world I possibly can to save their marriage. But whatever direction that ultimately goes, which will be up to the two of them, I want to be there for them, whatever that looks like. 
wherever they're going from here, I want to be there for them. But I think as we talk to marriages and we talk to young people and we talk to each other about what it takes to live together for a long time in a healthy, faithful, happy way, it involves a commitment to hanging in there. This is what Danny shared about the Lord's table. It's a priority. It's a priority that we're here today. It's a priority that you're watching online today. It's a priority that we gather around this table every single Sunday. We made that a priority. We choose to do that. I believe that choosing to have that marriage that includes problems but that works through them is also a priority. A commitment to hanging in there. Number four, a desire to please. A desire to please. And I might say not an expectation to be pleased. You know, this is when you want to nudge your partner and say, hear, that, hear him saying that? You're supposed to please me. <laughs> no, yeah, that may be true. But for a moment, let me talk to you. A desire to please. A desire to please your mate. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, that's really the theme. It's about somebody else and their preferences and their needs and their wants and not mine. And 1 Corinthians 13, even though it's going to be at the end of Bill's marriage sermon, 1 Corinthians 13 is not written to a couple about their wedding or about their marriage. It's written to Christians about how they relate to each other. And it has great application. And that's why it's in a lot of weddings. But in a close relationship, certainly in a marriage relationship, there is a desire to please rather than an expectation to be pleased. Let me give you a little hint. Do you not want to do that? Do you not want to have that expectation that you are called not to be selfish, but to please the other person, to live uh, according to their needs and their desires and their preferences and their wants? Then I've got a few things to advise you. Number one, stay single. It's okay. It's It's a wonderful thing. Number two, if you've already gotten married... Don't have children. Because if your goal and your desire is to get your way and to be selfish and to not have to please others, don't have children. (laughs) A third one might be this. Don't go to church. If your desire is to please yourself and to get your way, then don't go to church. Because the call of the cross, the call of Christ, is to put somebody else before yourself. It's to make sure that their needs and their desires and their preferences are the ones that are being met, not yours. A desire to please rather than an expectation to be pleased. Number five, a realistic set of expectations. Perhaps emphasis upon realistic. These expectations, do they challenge us a bit? Well, yeah, sometimes, but are they fair? That's the question. Expecting something out of your mate that's not fair is is not right, and it will only lead to problems. It's realistic. It sets the bar high, yes, but not so high that it's unattainable. A realistic set of expectations. Be willing to talk about them. Number six, a mutual respect. A mutual respect. We talked about this in our Bible class this morning. 
talking about how we relate to other people in our society, especially in relating to civil authorities or on the job or anybody really in our culture that we disagree with or have disagreements with, how do we handle that? We handle it with respect. We don't have to agree with them to respect them and to be considerate of them and to love them, Jesus says. And yeah, sometimes that means you have to speak up. Sometimes in healthy, happy marriages, there's conflict and there's tension. And so they deal with that directly in healthy ways. They deal with that with a mutual respect. Number seven, an environment of kindness. An environment of kindness. Jerry and Lynn Jones, who have done so much wonderful things for the church and for relationships and for marriages. This is one of the things that they say and one of the things that they push throughout their seminars, and that is be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. You're not sure what that means? Then ask your spouse or ask a close friend. You're not sure if you're doing that well or not? Same. Tell your spouse, okay, I'm giving you permission to speak freely, as they say. (laughs) Tell me when I'm not acting kindly. Be kind to each other. An environment of kindness. Number eight, a fondness for laughter. Many people through the years have asked Joyce, how in the world have you lived with this guy all this time? (laughs) And more times than not, her first response is, he makes me laugh. I kind of feel like that it's just that her thinking about the fact that, you know, she's still with me and it makes her laugh. (laughs) But we make each other laugh. That fondness for laughter, to be able to share the joys of life, to be able to not necessarily avoid things that are important, but to be able to put a little bit of humor in them sometimes when that humor is needed. And to appreciate life, a fondness for laughter. It's one of the things that the article mentioned as well, to be able to laugh together, to be able to share the joys of life together. A lot of times it's laughing at yourself, and that's okay. A fondness for laughter. Number nine, a dependence upon God. A dependence upon God. We depend upon God. As many have said, there are three people involved in a marriage. One is the husband, one is the wife, and one is the Lord. And it takes all three. And I I think that's right. The tragedy is sometimes someone doesn't fill their role. And that's heartbreaking. But there is in happy, successful long-term marriages, there is that dependence upon God, realizing that I'm not going to come through every time, my spouse is not going to come through every time, but God is always going to be there. No matter what, we make the right decisions, the wrong decisions, God is going to be there, and He's going to see us through that. And He's going to give us the chart and the path to go forward. Number nine is a dependence upon God. Number ten is a trust in God. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Bill, you just said that. No, 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 no. On the one hand, we depend upon God, but along with that dependence comes trust. Trust in God that what we're depending on Him for, He will do. He will do. And so, not only do I depend on my God, I trust Him. I don't trust the way he does. I trust him. 
I don't trust that He will always say yes to my prayers. I trust Him. I don't trust what God will do for me. I trust God. Along with that dependence upon God is a trust in God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon His promise. Just to know. Thus saith the Lord. Well, before we close then, a a reading of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Isn't it interesting that that's the first one? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives, in other words. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. We might say where there is infatuation, it will cease. Love never fails. Love perseveres. Infatuation kind of comes and goes. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We don't understand a lot about what Paul's talking about, but I think one of the things he's saying is this, grow up. (laughs) It is not all about you. (laughs) Grow up. Grow up in your relationships with your spouse, with your siblings, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then that great closing verse, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way to be happy in our marriages. There's no other way to be happy in our lives. There's no other way to be happy in our friendships. There's no other way to be happy in our church life. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand. Sing our song together.